They've got a brand new stadium, a big one, and they're going to put a big flag out there in a moment because the Eagle has landed for the Premiers. There's a new dynasty in the NBA. The Golden State Warriors champions once again. Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Sports Desk on your Wednesday morning here. You are joined by April, Kendra and myself, uh, Thomas. April, how are we today? Kendra, how are we today? I'm doing well. Kendra, you've got the scarf on today, I see. Yes, I do have the Richmond scarf on, so I was very happy with their win. How are you going, Tom? Uh, very, very disappointed. It's been a disappointing week of sport, to be honest. Um, Carlton... We'll get into this in, in a sec, but, you know, Carlton pretty much getting kicked out of any finals chance. So I'm very down this week. Oh, well, we'll be mourning what could have been for the Blues. It's been an exciting season for them, though. At least you've shown some promise for a change. It has. It's, it's better than, you know, trying to not finish last. Going for finals is nice, but, you know, it's, just, it's, it's nice to be disappointed, if that makes sense. Um, but I guess to kick off uh, the show, we'll go over some of the more important results over the week. Uh, we're having another festival of footy again. How do you guys feel about that, actually? We're recording this show, as usual, on Tuesday before it airs on, on Wednesday. Um, and so even, you know, we've got two games being played tonight so we, that we can't cover. Um, it's just, there's just so much happening. And I feel like um, we were talking before we started recording about how, like, the last round that we're going to recap today feels like so long ago when it started yeah I'm actually quite excited for it I mean like the last festival of footy it was like a lot of football and wasn't really keeping up with it but I think because the Tigers are in good contention I'm really taking an interest in it now like it's starting to ramp up so it's getting really exciting so I'm excited Uh, way to rub it in Kendra way to rub it (laughs) in um so I guess uh first game of last round was last Thursday on the 27th uh April the Bombers had a very you know, a uh, uh, tight game there against the Hawks, but you ended up getting a 16-point win. How did you feel about it? This was one of the best games to watch as an Essendon fan. The first half was so bad. We were just playing terribly. And, like, Hawthorne, Hawthorne were just running all over us. But, you know, they weren't playing that phenomenally either. It was just sort of – they were just doing – we were doing the absolute bottom worst performance we could do um but things just turned around so much in the second half I was just hoping for us to be you know competitive and at least be a more enjoyable second half to watch but then we come out and kick like 10 goals to nothing or whatever it was and end up winning um so it was a very exciting end to the game yeah it was a very uh, Hawthorne almost did what Carlton did you know we kicked five, six goals to nothing against Hawthorne and then they came back and beat us. And then you guys have done exactly the same to Hawthorne. You know, seven ten to 2-4 at the end of the first half. As a Carlton supporter, I was like, this is also Essendon getting smashed. And then you just came out, you played so well. And isn't it nice to see Joe Danaher up and about again, kicking some goals? It is. I, I didn't have high hopes for him, I must say. It's been a long time since we've seen him play. And and even then, you know, the last times we saw him play, it was always under a bit of an injury cloud. So I was nervous about how long he was going to last through the game. But he made it through the whole way and starred in the second half. And is, is, is probably the what turned the game around for us. And then straight after Kendra, we had the Tigers. A very nice win against the Eagles there. How did you find that? 
Oh, it was really good. I, I love it when Richmond beat West Coast Eagles because West Coast Eagles are a very good side. And I think it was coming down to Dusty. He was just, he was, he lived, he was really good in this game and he was so accurate with his goal. So I think that he definitely brought the team up and they, I have to say, as defending champions, they definitely did make a statement. So even though they're fourth on the ladder, I have high hopes that they're going to win again. It's going to be a three-peat. It's a pretty good run into the end of the finals for Richmond. And if they get a couple of wins, they could finish higher on the ladder, which would be disappointing for me. And I guess for April as you as well. Um, but some more games happened throughout the week. You had uh, another interesting game with the Geelong Bulldogs. Uh, uh, the Cats beat the Dogs uh, 72 to 61. But the Doggies kept the, the Cats to no goals after the first quarter. So that's a claw their way back again. Did you guys watch this one at all? Yes, I did watch that. And when the Bulldogs were six goals in front of Geelong, I was like, what's happening? Like Geelong have been such a strong side and I honestly did not see them coming back, but the Cats definitely clawed their way back. So that was quite a shock, but it was such an exciting game to watch. And I did feel sorry for the Bulldogs, but yeah, they just seemed to not give up in a way, but they just sort of couldn't really shut the Cats down as they were coming back. Yeah, it was funny to see. I mean, coming after the Essendon Hawthorne game, Geelong sort of do a similar thing to what Essendon did Um, and I think just going forward it probably gives other teams a bit more confidence that they can beat Geelong um, going into the finals. And we've seen this a couple of times this year it's you know more than usual I think anyway teams getting early leads and then coming back and blowing them later in the game so something about this year is just um, making all the results weird for us. It's interesting as well that that's happening seeing as we are having the shorter games this year. Like you would almost think it would be the opposite, that it would be harder for teams to come back. Yeah, it is odd. Um, I don't know. I, yeah, with the shorter quarters, it'd be a lot harder. But for some reason, maybe teams are less tired because it is shorter quarters. They have more energy to put in for longer, uh, for a longer period of time. So maybe that's, that might be a reason that teams are coming back and getting some wins. Um, but I guess go into the Saturday games, the power going back on top of the ladder with a convincing win, convincing win over the Suns, 20, uh, 73 to 47. The Giants keeping their finals hopes alive with a pretty decent win over the Dockers, 91 to 53. The Demons in a ripper game here against the Saints with a three-point win, 52 to 49, with a contentious ending to the game with a goal from Melbourne that probably shouldn't have counted in the end. Um, if no one watched it... Um, Melbourne kicked a goal and it was uh, um, the St Kilda uh, defender touched on the line, but because there was no goal line technology at Alice Springs at at the park, um, no one could tell if the ball was touched or wasn't touched before the line. So they went with the umpire's decision, which was a goal. And then the AFL came out after the game and said, every stadium from now on and every game is going to have goal line technology. So um, do you guys think this is a, this is a, the right idea to go about it? I think, I think so, yes. I mean, it's sort of when every other ground, I think pretty much has cameras and we're, we're used to having the review system in place, it, then you can't suddenly go to a match and not have it. Um, just, just for fairness, like I don't necessarily think um, going by umpire's call is a bad thing, but I think you've got to keep it fair across all the games. Yeah, and then moving on, um, I'll do the Carlton game last because I'll rant about that at the end. Um, <laughs> but the last game on the Sunday was the Suns in a very convincing win over the um, the Kangas. So there's a lot going wrong wrong at North Melbourne at the moment. Um, and the Suns, a nice bounce back win after a couple of um, disappointing losses. But yes, the Carlton game... Uh, it's just disappointing going down to the pie 72 to 48. You know, we had such a 
you know, dominant, not that dominant, but, you know, we, we were in front and we were dominating them for the entirety of the first half. You know, we were just play, just outplaying them, out contesting them. You know, our hardball, hardball gets were out of, you know, out of the park. And to come out in the second half and not kick a goal is just really disappointing. And it just, oh, it just sucks. Losing to Collingwood sucks enough, but for them to pretty much, you know, cancel our finals hopes just sucks even more. Yeah, and Collingwood obviously have been lately going through a, a bit of patchy form. Um, so it was probably in some ways like as good a time as ever for, for Carlton to seize the opportunity and beat them. Um, but unfortunately, couldn't quite get it done. Yeah, I guess you guys, um, you, you'd be happy April anyway. That's one less team out of finals contention. So it's better for you guys. Yes, well, Essendon is up to 11th on the ladder. We've got Carlton in 12th um which i would say tom this is the most this is the most interesting part of the ladder do we even need to go through the rest no because <laughs> with the st kilda loss as well they're you know potentially they, they potentially might miss out of finals now so st kilda are sitting seventh on 32 points uh melbourne at eighth on 28th then you have the giants and the bulldogs both on 28 points essendon 26 count 24 so again it's just it's the most interesting part of the ladder we've been talking about it the last couple of weeks um, Kendra, Richmond, jumping up to 38, you know, can potentially finish on top if things go their way. You guys are setting yourselves up for a big end. Fingers crossed that they pull through. What do you guys reckon about the, the finals? Who do, who do we reckon is going to make it in the end? I mean, obviously, I hope Essendon make it in. So I'm going to just be a, a, a big fan here and say Essendon will definitely get up into eighth. Um, otherwise, otherwise, I don't really mind. Any team can make it. As long as Essendon's there, I'll be happy. Fair enough. I would actually like to see the Giants and the Bulldogs sneak into the eight if they knock out St. Kilda and Melbourne. I think that would be interesting and I reckon it'd be cool for finals for that. Um, other than that, I mean, I would obviously have wanted Carlton in there, but I don't think that's going to go our way. So I'm, I'm with the Giants and Bulldogs to finish in those last two spots. What about you, Kendra? Yeah, I think that, um, yeah, the Giants and Bulldogs, I reckon they could definitely overtake Melbourne and St Kilda. St Kilda, I don't, I didn't even realise was actually in the top eight, but I think St Kilda is going to not dip out in the finals. And I think, yeah, you're going to have Port Adelaide, Geelong, Brisbane, Richmond, West Coast. I think West Coast will stay fifth. Collingwood, I don't know. I reckon they're still a bit shaky, as we were talking before. They've had a very up and down season. So I think that they are hanging on very closely to keeping in the finals. Exactly. And uh, to keep in mind as well, St Kilda do have that 14th game, whereas the Giants are only on 13. So if the Giants do get a win, they will go above St Kilda um, in that regard as well. So very shaky here for St Kilda fans. Sin, where young people run the show. Soft memories of youthful days. All right, moving on to some cricket news. And... We're heading, we're now into spring, so we're heading closer and closer to the summer of cricket, which means the Big Bash League is coming up. And Cricket Australia have announced they're going to be spending some big money um, to try draw in some big name overseas stars. Kendra, I know the Big Bash League is very close to your heart. You've talked before on the show about how excited you would be if we get some of the big cricket players from overseas coming to play. Do you want to share with the audience 
who would you most like to see? Oh, well, I'd love to see Virat Kohli. I think I said that in a few episodes that I'd love it if he came. So if he's listening to this by any chance, Virat Kohli, we'd love you to come. Um, I don't think he's listening. But um, yeah, we've also got um, Ben Stokes, who is from the Ashes, and he's a very good cricketer. So I'd actually be really excited to see him come to the Big Bash League. Hopefully he can come to Melbourne Renegades. I think he'd look very good in red and it'd be a very exciting cricket match. So yeah, I'm actually really excited now for the Big Bash League if they can recruit some of these international players. Well, yeah, it'd be awesome if you got Coley. Um, I know Cricket Australia here in the article that we put up, um, it is... They're thinking of getting MS Dhoni and Ben Stokes, which, which would be awesome. I don't believe we've seen them in the, in the Big Bash at all. Um, I guess uh, Channel 7 are concerned about not having enough stars, especially in the pandemic we are in at the moment. I believe when the Aussies and India come to Australia for their tour of the summer, I believe they're going to be situated in hubs, which means that they, are, they won't be allowed to participate in the Big Bash which I think is why they're going for someone like Dhoni who has retired from the national team and someone like Ben Stokes as well, who, you know, isn't going to be traveling with the England team to Australia. So he will be hopefully in the big bash. I think it could be awesome for the big bash because the past couple of years, we haven't really had any big names really compared to what the start of the, um, the big bash was like, you know, 10 years ago. So I think it could be really awesome to see them. I think it's really great to have in the Big Bash be that sort of nice mix of the the older, established, successful, really well-known players who are perhaps nearing the end of their career, as well as the young players who are just starting to come through. Um, so I think if they do get some of these older players who are, you know, nearing the end of um, their career and perhaps stepping back from a few things, if we can get them into the Big Bash, I, I think that'd be fantastic. Yeah, and so the current salaries, which is the problem for not having any of these bigger names, the current salary for the Big Bash is around $225,000. And Cricket Australia have come out and said they're prepared to go well and beyond $1.9 million salary caps to get these um, star-studded players uh, back into the Big Bash as well. All right, now to the A-League Grand Final. Sydney FC won over Melbourne City to claim a historic fifth A-League win. But there was a little bit of controversy. Tom, do you want to tell us a bit about this? Yes, before we get into the controversy, I guess, um, you know, uh, I'm, a, I'm a Melbourne Victory supporter and, uh, you know, I, I do hate City, but it just sucks seeing Sydney FC winning their fifth title no Sydney supporters will be very happy with that. Overtaking Brisbane Raw and Melbourne Victory with the most ever grand final wins. Um, a very impressive game from both sides. Uh, Tom Glover, arguably best on ground, but with Sydney winning, Ryan Grant scoring the winning goal. He also had an incredible match, taking out the man of the match honours there. But again, VAR coming into it, and there's a lot of controversy around a couple of decisions here, April. I know you uh, had a quick look at those. Uh, what are they about? Yeah, well, we'll start with uh, Melbourne City and had the opportunity... Well, they, they did score during the match, but the goal ended up being disallowed. Um, we've got the audio of it here from Fox Sports. Been summoned to look at Lockie Wales obstructing the view of Redmayne there. The ball doesn't come via Lockie Wales, but is he obstructing the view of the number one? Big decision in his first grand final for Chris Beef. And I think it's going to be ruled out here. It's no goal for Harrison Delbridge. We're still goalless. All right, so that was from Harrison Delbridge's 18-minute 18 18th minute goal, um, which was disallowed. And 
as you sort of heard in the audio there, it was because one of the other Melbourne City players was obstructing the view of the goalie. Um, Tom, did you think this was the right decision to disallow the goal? It's a bit iffy. Um, so the Melbourne City defender, he was offside and he arguably was in the um, the line of sight from the goalkeeper, um, arguably obstructing it. It, it. It's very if here and there. Um, my take on it is if it was allowed, it would have been also controversy around it. But I think either decision, there's going to be controversy. Um, and they had to make one. And then, the, you know, the decision they went for was the goal disallowed. Um, honestly, I reckon it should have been allowed, the goal. He, he wasn't obstructing it that much. He was in the line, of, the line of sight, but then the player moved, if that makes sense. The player moved out of the line of sight, then had the shot, and the goalkeeper still had time to position himself and try and save it, and he didn't. So I think in that scenario, it probably should have been a goal, but I understand where they're coming from. And the other controversial decision was Sydney being denied a penalty in the 28th minute. That was Sydney's player, Adam Lafondre. Um, what do you think of this one? Yeah, again, it probably should have been a penalty. Um, you know, Sydney fans aren't going to be complaining too much because they ended up winning the match. If they had lost, it would have been very controversial um, and it would have been that decision that changed the game. But, you know, they won. So I think the penalty decision... Again, it probably should have been, but again, I get where they're coming from and it, you know, it helped the game move forward and made it more interesting. So I'm happy for how it turned out in the end. So this obviously was Melbourne City's first A-League Grand Final appearance. Um, do you think they'll be better for the experience? Obviously disappointing that they didn't take the win, but you know they've got that first Grand Final appearance out of the way now. Do you think they're going to come back even better next year? It is. It's so much better for, for the experience. They've been in the big dance now. They've experienced it, all the nerves. They know what to expect. It is hard going into your first ever grand final. There's a lot of pressure, especially, you know, City who have lost multiple semifinals along, along the way and haven't found much success at all. So just to get to the grand final is, is, is incredible. And against this Sydney side, who have arguably been the best over the last four or five years as well, it's, it's hard to beat them. So it'd be really impressive to see City come out at um, the start of next season and just improve on themselves and take that next step forward to, to knock Sydney off now. Sin, we're young people run the show. All right, the Tour de France is back and we've had three stages already. So for stage one, it was a little bit iffy with the weather. What did you think of the weather, April? It, oh, it basically rained the whole time. Um, it... For spectators, it made it a really exciting stage to watch. I mean, there were crashes about every five minutes. I think that you'd be hard-pressed to really find a rider who didn't crash during the race. Like, that is how many people were falling off their bikes. Um, even right up until the very end of the stage, you know, we saw them. This was like a relatively flat stage, but there were um, a few climbs here and there. So there were a lot of crashes on the descents down when the road was really slippery. Um, so then the riders started going really slow to try to keep safe. But then even when we got right to the finish line, um, just inside three kilometres to go, there was a massive pile up, which um, basically everyone except for the sort of lead bunch of riders were involved in. So um, it was a, a interesting start to the race. And I think none of the riders would have been too pleased with it. I think there would have been a lot of sore bodies come day two. Yeah, it was, I found stage one really hard to watch because whenever a cyclist is falling off, I find that really hard. But do you think maybe because it is the tour is a month later, it's delayed, do you think this has something to do with the bad weather in Nice for the first stage? 
Well, I heard the commentators talking on that night and they were talking about how, because um, the SBS commentators, some of them um, aren't in France this year. They're in Melbourne when they normally would be in France. And they were talking about how, you know, every time they've been over to Nice for the tour, it's been perfect weather, it's never rained. But, you know, we are now that month later, it is now um, on the back end of their summer rather than right in the middle of it. So I think it makes sense that we might see more rain all the way through the tour this year. Yes, definitely. That is something for the cyclists are definitely going to have to consider. But stage two was quite exciting. I really enjoyed watching this because there was a group of cyclists that broke away from the peloton and towards the end stage of the race, the the peloton was hunting them down. So they had to really think quickly. And obviously, Julian Alaphilippe, who is in the yellow jersey at the moment, he took the win for the stage. But he had to think very quickly because no one was going when the peloton were coming home. Mm. Well, this uh, second stage was up in up into the big mountains, so it was sort of that day where we saw some riders break away and managed to keep the lead all the way over the climbs and stuff. But yeah, right at the end of the race, we saw the peloton looming behind these three riders out in front, and yeah, I thought they weren't even going to make it across the finish line before being swamped by everyone. But um, as you said, Alaphilippe managed to get there with the win. Mark Hershey was in second, who's a young up and coming rider. Um, Thought he was really impressive and, you know, only missed by about a wheel length um, from getting the win. So, and then we had um, Adam Yates in third, who rides for Australian team Mitchelton Scott. So, um, good result that all three breakaway riders managed to escape the peloton because I it was quite scary watching them all looming. I can't imagine what that feels like when you're out there riding. Yeah, the adrenaline was definitely pumping. And also for Julian Alaphilippe, he did lead a lot of the tour last year and also he said he had quite a tough year so he was dedicating that win to his dad but stage three I think was even better we had Aussie Caleb Ewan take out the win Benetzolo coming through the middle Bennett on the left hand side Hofstetter on the right Ewan Caleb with the throw he gets there sensational in Sisteron can I just say that last sprint, I did not expect him to do. He did like a little needle weave and he just had an extra gear. I know it was incredible because um, he ended up quite a way back really um, as they were doing the last sprint. There were a lot of riders in front of him and somehow he managed to squeeze through this almost non-existent gap between another cyclist and the fence. Um, it really, really, if he'd messed that up, it could have been disastrous. It could have been a big crash between all the sprinters. Um, but he managed to work it out and, and ended up winning almost comfortably, I guess, as comfortable as it can be for a sprint. Yeah, oh, that was a very slim um, chance he took passing that cyclist because any like uh, any distance between them, he would have clipped the side and definitely would have had a massive crash. But yeah, he was definitely, he was in the middle of the peloton for a lot of the race. So I think, I think it came down to, yeah, a bit of strategy, but also a little bit of luck with that one as well. Do you reckon it would have helped with... Um all the other riders still being bruised and sore from stage one. I reckon it would have helped him out a bit that potentially every, you know, everyone's trying to um, stay healthy and not be so sore. And he's just come out of nowhere and taken the victory from everybody. It could be. I mean, Caleb also um, fell in that first stage and um, there was a bit where we thought he was going to end up, not that it matters so much because he's a sprinter, but we thought we were, he was going to end up, you know, miles behind everyone and just sort of battle through that stage, but he managed to catch back up and, and he's obviously, um, in good health and fitness um, to pull out that sprint. It was very impressive. 
Yeah, especially because he lost two of his teammates in that crash. But the rest of the team said that their goal in that race was just to work together and not think about the team that they had lost and just focus on getting through the line. So that was really good from the Australian. It's exciting as well because we've only got two Australians in the race this year, being Caleb Ewan and Richie Port. Um, So it's good to see Australians, even though we're not particularly well represented, we're still getting on the board. Um, As we said, we are recording this on Tuesday. So we've got stage four is on overnight it's a mountaintop finish so hopefully Richie Port can win tonight's stage all right after stage three in the yellow jersey we have Julian Alaphilippe in the green jersey we have Italian cyclist Peter Sagan he's a very good sprinter so I think he will it will be very hard for other sprinters to snatch that jersey off him in the polka dot king of the mountains we have uh, I've got this one. Um, I've actually got an interesting story. We might touch on this one. Um, I'm not sure if yeah, you, you take the <laughs> King of the Mountains, the polka dot jersey, is um, a rider whose last name is Cosnefoir. Um, not sure how. I'm not going to go with the first name. We're just going to go with Cosnefoir. Um, but it's actually an interesting story because in the third stage, in the two um, mountain point um, little finishes, he was beaten by um, a rider called Perez. And um, I, it was funny at the time I was watching and the commentator said, oh, okay, Perez has got the polka dot jersey. He'll take it from Cosnefoir now as long as they both make it, you know, to the finish line safely. And you were like, yep, you know, pretty good weather day. Everyone's just cycling along fine. Nothing's going to happen. Next minute, Perez gets a puncture and so has to stop and get his um, tyre fixed. Then he's just riding along to catch back up to everyone. He crashes into his team car, breaks his rib and had to abandon the race. And so now Cosnefoir has stayed in the polka dot jersey. Wow. <laughs> what a story. <laughs> it just, I woke up because um, I didn't watch all of the stage last night. And so I woke up this morning to see the news of it. And I just couldn't believe it because I was almost... You know, you don't want to joke about because this is a terrible thing to have happened. But I was sort of, you know, joking like, oh, imagine if you really wanted to keep the polka dot jersey. So you like pushed him off his bike or something. But then in the end, he's actually fallen and has actually had to abandon the race when he he would have been finishing on a podium. Um, So it's just it would be heartbreaking for him and um, and for his team, I think. So I, I really feel for him. Yes, definitely. Also, I this is just my opinion, but I think the polka dot jersey is pretty close on a par with the yellow jersey I think to keep that sort of a jersey like going up those mountains they are very steep and you definitely need a lot of strength and endurance to keep that jersey so I'd say that keeping the polka dot jersey would be one of the hardest jerseys to keep in the tour and in the white jersey we had young up-and-comer Mark Hershey so that is the jerseys for stage three on FM, on DAB+, and streaming online at sin.org.au. This is Sin, where young people run the show. All right, now, we, we've been talking about this uh, every week so far. It's finally come about. The US Open has officially started. Um, very disappointing for the Aussie women's today, though. Every single one of them has been knocked out today, and so far, the only Aussie to make it through has been Jordan Thompson at the moment. We do have a couple playing tomorrow. Um, all of the boys, you've got Demonar, Millman, um, O'Connell, and there's one other, I believe, sorry. Uh, Duckworth as well. I forget the duck. Yep. So we still have four more Aussie, Aussie men to play tomorrow, but 
all the Aussie women went out today. Uh, it's just, just disappointing. Um, but you know what? It's awesome that they all made it there and they all got the chance to play in a Grand Slam. And it's just, you know, it, it just sucks as an Aussie to have your Aussies lose. Um, some of the bigger names, Djokovic had a pretty convincing win today as well. Um, Serena Williams does play tomorrow. Um, well, actually, as you're listening to this, she probably will be on. So make sure you check into that and see if she loses. Oh, gosh, not a very positive. <laughs> no, it hasn't been, no. <laughs> no, well, back to um, the Aussie women. You know, we've at least got, like, Sharma and Inglis. There's a few. Um, Cabrera as well had three set matches. So at least they put up a little bit of a fight. And, um, I mean, we often see a lot of the Aussie women lose in the first round of Grand Slams. So, um perhaps not particularly unusual in that sense, but disappointing to not have any of them to cheer on. Um, there's also a few of the Aussies. There's a few names I don't recognize, um, which is nice to see too. It's always good when we have some new talent coming through. Yeah. And um, Tom Janovic went down to Kerber as well. So, you know, a tough first opponent for her and she did well, six, four, six, four. That's, you know, only getting broken once. So a very, a very respectable match there against, you know, arguably one of the best at the moment. Um, and then Pullman's went down in five sets, unfortunately, as well. So, you know, a ripper first round from him. And then you had um, Jordan Thompson winning in four, six, three, six, four, four, six, six, two against the Italian Travaglia. So awesome to have someone go through to the second round. Um, if he's the only one, it'd be awesome to see Thompson do something um, impressive for the Aussies, but you know, it's just incredible that they've that the US Open's actually gone ahead and it's actually started. So it's you know, it's nice to see, even though we've been talking bad about it, <laughs> saying it should have been cancelled over the last couple of weeks, it is still nice to see some tennis going on. It's obvious as well, after we've been talking about it for so long, it's almost surprising now to look and see how many players are playing in it. Um, because it was sort of almost you were getting the feeling that there was just so many names um dropping out, but now that I actually look through, there's a lot of players who have still chosen to play. Um, sticking with tennis news, Novak Djokovic is in headlines again. He is starting a new players association. Um, what do you guys think of this? It's been getting quite a bit of criticism from the other players, including from Federer and Nadal. Um, Djokovic has sort of been getting, you know, he's been getting criticism from Kyrgios um, and sort of a range of players now for a while. Um, do you think sort of the players perhaps support and respect for Djokovic is slipping away? It definitely seems like it. You know, if you're having Federer and Nadal come out and slamming what you're doing, I don't think a lot of people are going to follow you either. It, it, it's not the best timing to start a new players association either. It's very dubious here from Djokovic. It doesn't seem like it's the, the right thing to do at the moment. And it, you got to question his his intentions for it as well. You know, he's been really strong about not cancelling any tournaments and wanting to go ahead with the US Open, even though it probably isn't the best option. And we've seen multiple people and high-profile players pull out because of it. And, you know, Djokovic has come out and said he doesn't believe in it all. He wants it all to go ahead. And, you know, he had his own charity tournament go ahead, regardless of the medical advice that went ahead. And we all know how that went. So it's definitely not the best look for Djokovic. He probably doesn't have the best opinion uh, 
everyone probably doesn't have the best opinion of him at the moment anyway, and this doesn't seem to help. Yeah, so with Djokovic, he's not, he's definitely not the poster boy for this, um, starting this new association, particularly like because, yeah, he did catch the virus and he started his own tournament, but he has been, like, he has had a very good reputation, I would say, up until this point. So I think he just needed to think a bit more about his brand going into starting up something like this, and I don't think it's really worked in his favour. Turn up your radio. This is Sin. Into the Super Netball now, and they're up to round eight of the season. Um, so to go through the results from the weekend, we had the Melbourne Vixens get another win, 63-60, to 60, over the New South Wales Swifts. Uh, the Magpies went down, as seems to be usual for them, 69-54. So a big loss there to the Giants. Uh, the... Firebirds had a close match with the Thunderbirds. Um, the Firebirds got up 54 to 53. And then the final match of the weekend, the West Coast Fever beat the Sunshine Coast Lightning 80 to 56. So a couple of really big wins there over the weekend. Kendra, do you want to take us through the ladder? All right. Now to the Super Netball ladder, we have the Vixens on top with 28 points. So no surprise there after their win followed by the Swifts, who are on 24 points, so not much in it. They're only four points behind. Then followed by Lightning, who are on 20 points. In fourth, we have Fever on 16 points. In fifth place, we have the Giants on 14 points. Six, the Thunderbirds on 12 points. Seven, we have the Firebirds on 10. And in number eight and last on the ladder, we have the Magpies, who only have four points. And then uh, moving on to a bit of a quick NBA update as well. Uh, the Eastern Conference second round has come through with the Heat taking out the first game over the Bucks and the Boston Celtics taking out the first game over the Raptors. So two surprise wins there from both of those sides. Um, the Western Conference is, is a little bit different here. Only the Lakers and the Clippers have gone through to their second round, still waiting on other matches. Uh, so we have the Nuggets and the Jazz at three apiece. So going into a game seven to decide who goes through to the second round. And as we're recording today, the Thunder have just beaten the Rockets to take the series three all into a seventh. So two big matches there to watch out for over the next couple of days. I want to ask you, Tom, yes. how does the NBA work? Um, once they, obviously, you know, it, every team is at sort of a completely different stage and some teams can end up a bit behind on their schedule. Um, when it gets to, like, I guess the the actual final, um, if a team is sort of qualified a lot earlier, do they just have a break until the other team is ready? Yeah, you just have to wait. So if you're going into, say, I'm going to base it off the AFL here, you have the two preliminary final games going ahead. Imagine there's seven games each for each series. So if one team wins it in four rounds, the other team goes to seven games. The team that wins it in four has an extra break because they've won earlier. So it, 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 so the teams don't have the same amount of a break, but because the NBA games are a lot shorter, they have bigger rotations, they play so much anyway, it doesn't really make much of a difference the, the way they go about it. You know, they, they play every day or every second day, so they're sort of used to it and they're conditioned to be playing that intensely for that long. So yes, to your question, yeah, they, they do have more breaks for the team that, that wins earlier. Yeah, makes sense. Sin, where young people run the show. Soft memories of youthful days. All right, to some Grand 
Prix news, which was held in Belgium. Tom, do you want to take us through the results, which I've heard wasn't a very exciting Grand Prix? Yes, yes. So the Belgian Grand Prix over in Spa, one of the most historical tracks there is to date. Uh, it was very boring. Hamilton, Bottas, Verstappen, in that order, from start to finish, nothing much changed. Hamilton was just out front the whole the whole race. Bottas wasn't really given the opportunity and wasn't really allowed to turn his engine up to party mode to catch up to Hamilton to potentially take points off him. And Verstappen just in clear air most of the race. But there is a there is a but here. Ricardo finishing fourth, an incredible race from him. Um, he managed his tyres super well throughout the whole race, and he ended up actually only being three seconds behind Max. Verstappen at the end of the race. So if there was an extra lap or two, Ricardo, you know, would have ended up on a podium spot, which is really good signs for uh, for Renault, who have been very disappointing this year. They've changed something to the engine, given given them a little bit more power, and it's incredible to see Ricardo finally in a car that can potentially compete. And you know, we've always seen he's been the driver to win championships and win races, and hopefully, it's a nice forward step to get that first podium spot at Renault. And as well, just before I finish, Ricardo did end up with the fastest lap, which is also very impressive from the Renault too. So the extra point there from Ricardo. Great news for Ricardo. And I'm looking at the times here and he's blitzed fifth. So he finished fourth um, with plus 18.877 seconds. Fifth place isn't until plus 40 seconds. Um, so that's, that's impressive in itself. He was really up there sort of... Um, really like in contention which is very nice to see it is very nice to see and you know the top three for the first half of the season so far have been so far ahead and no one can catch them and then ricardo all of a sudden comes in and shows potentially that this renault car can be up there and compete with the big boys so it'll be very interesting to see next week what happens when we're at monza sin where young people run the show Okay, well, it's been a patch show so far, but we are now moving on to our last segment before we wrap up, which is, of course, our odd sport of the week. Um, we've got another really good one this week. It does involve dogs. It is dock diving or dock jumping, which um, there's actually three sort of sub-disciplines to this sport. Um, so basically the first one is called Big Air, and this is like long jump for dogs. We've then got speed retrieve, which is um, a speed version. And then we've got extreme vertical, which is like high jump for dogs. So um, Tom, perhaps, did you want to take us a bit more through what exactly this sport is? Yes. So uh, dock jumping, also known as dock, known as dock diving, um, is a sport competition in which dogs compete at either distance or height jumping from a race platform usually known as the dock and they're jumping into water first appearing in 1977 as well. So a pretty old competition. Um, it is currently being run in the UK, Australia, Germany, and Austria. But I feel if you're anywhere else in the world, you can probably start it up. So the first competition we have here is big air. So big air is essentially a long jump for dogs. Dogs take a running jump from a 40 foot dock and they are chasing a toy thrown by the handler or their owner and they are jumping into water catch the toy and then they are measured from the end of their tail that's where the that's where they're considered the um the length of the dog at the end of the tail to where they first touch the water if that makes sense so that's that's when they're measured as their long jump then you have the speed retrieve which is like big air but the purpose of this competition um is a timed event meaning that the dogs must beat the set time 
set by the previous dog in order to win. So they have to do it in a faster time than the other dog, but also be the further distance, which is a bit harder, but you know, still pretty interesting. And then the extreme vertical, yeah, um, you know, pretty much just what it says. It's just the high jump for dogs. They have to start at a 20 foot marker on the dock. And then when the signal is to go, um, when the signal is sounded, the dogs take a running leap to grab a bumper toy held out eight feet over a pool of body of water. The dog must leap to catch the toy in order to succeed. So very, uh, another very cute event here, depending on what dog you have and what dogs you like. But two weeks in a row here, Kendra, are very cute animals are competing for events. Yes, I just as you were reading that, I was trying to think about what my dog could potentially go in. I have an American Staffy, but I don't think she'd go in any of these. She hates water, so I don't think she would go for anything. Also, she doesn't fetch stuff. But I reckon the one, if I was to enter a dog in it, would be the Speed Retrieve, and I'd get a Border Collie into that one because I think that they are they'd go for the swimming, and they're also pretty fast as well as Kelpies. So I'd toss up between Border Collies or Kelpies. April, do you have? a chosen sport no chosen discipline and a dog that you would enter it into i'm trying to imagine my dog um competing in this and she's a this tiny fluffy little thing um she would just not be good she's not a big fan of water so definitely wouldn't choose her um my actual favorite type of dog is a hungarian bizla so i think i'd choose one of them because they always look pretty athletic um and i reckon they could jump pretty far and pretty high so um just from looking at the videos you know I, I can see that the long jump and the high jump draws the biggest crowds i think so i think that's where i want to be yeah my dog hates water so i think it, none of these events are for her so i think i'm going to stay clear and i reckon i'm still going to go from last week we're going to get a show bunny and then we're going to win one of those events and that wraps up the show for your wednesday morning make sure you catch up with us on social media uh, catch up with us on Facebook at Sports Desk Sin. We are also on sin.org.au, syn.org.au if you want to catch up and listen to us live, if you don't have a radio as well. And make sure you catch up with every episode from us on your favourite podcasting website, whether that be Spotify, Apple Music, and we do post it on Omni as well if you don't use any of those. We'll be back next week as well, so make sure you tune in to Sin 90.7 and at sin.org.au. We'll be back next week and we'll see you then.